This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. 8.38 a.m. on this Friday, December 21st. We are about to enter the penultimate weekend of 2018. This is The Morning Run. I'm Tan Chung Han. With me, Julian Ng. Now, if you uh, missed the replay of The Breakfast Grill earlier, don't forget uh, that podcast is available on the BFM app. Also on BFM's Spotify channel, we, uh, we revisited the grill that uh, was aired on September 3rd with CIMB Group Holdings CEO, Duncan. Now, uh, let's take a look at some business news still in the banking sector, Julian. So, HSBC, we move from CIMB to HSBC. Uh, now, they are selling their 49% stake in HSBC Amna Takaful to uh, FWD Life Insurance Company. Now, this is not a, a new thing. It's a confirmation of a report that came out in late August, uh, September, uh, essentially confirming that Reuters report from a, a few months ago. Yeah, I think this uh, insurance sector uh, movement is going to hot up because uh, Bank Negara is making a lot of moves within the sector. Mm. Um, I think earlier on, a uh, long time ago in 2013, uh, that's yawns ago, right? Uh, <laughs> they came up with a report saying that uh, the Takaful, sorry, the life insurance business and the general business has to be separated so that uh, insurance companies can devote more resources to that kind of specialization, right? Mm. Uh, you can't combine the both the balance sheets, but separate them so that uh, you're more focused and uh, you sort of combine res- uh, separate resources. Yeah, separate resources to then deepen the industry. And in fact, uh, in September of this year, speaking about past Breakfast Grills, uh, I spoke to Arsalan Ahmed, the CEO of HSBC Amana Malaysia, and he gave us some historical context for HSBC's uh, Takaful business back then. And here's what he had to say about this move. There was a regulatory change a few years ago where there was a splitting of the license. So there was a combined license historically given. We were one of the first banks to to get that. Um, Between life and general, right? Yes, that's right. So there's a splitting of the license. Now, in order to kind of split the license up, um, there was a significant amount of investment that was required to to do that. And this was at a time where HSBC as as a group historically was um, defocusing on insurance. Um, so that kind of prompted activity uh, within the market. Um, and of course, there is within the Takaful space a requirement for a certain amount of local ownership. Um, that sometimes has dynamics, positive and negatives. Uh, the positives are, you know, you kind of have a local partner to work with. Uh, the negatives are the, you, you know, you kind of have to bring everyone on board on decisions that are made. And sometimes when you have a plurality of views, it does require more time to make decisions and be more agile in the market. But the main point here is is the splitting of the licensing, the requirements of heavy investments um, at a time when HSBC as a group was moving away from insurance necessitated the position that we're in today. That was Arsalan Ahmed, CEO of HSBC Amna Malaysia, who was on the Breakfast Grill in September, commenting on those reports that came out uh, by Reuters in late August. Fast forward to today, December 21st, we have this news that HSBC is selling its 49% stake in HSBC Amana Takaful. That stake is going to FWD Life Insurance Company, essentially uh, confirming the report. Uh, the deal has been approved by the Ministry of Finance through Ben Negara 
and it's expected to be completed in the first half of next year. Um, Han, there's also this other related story uh, about the Islamic market as well because uh, Maybank Islamic is planning to attack this US $6.4 trillion uh, Islamic market Mm -hmm. uh, expects uh, uh, setting up its first overseas branch in Dubai. Right. And broadly speaking, there is this tremendous potential in the Islamic finance space, right? But, you know, here we are, we we are seeing some criticisms of... um, of the potential and how these uh, players like Maybank Islamic and, I mean, it's not just them, all these other players are really meeting that demand there because there seems to be a, a lot of window dressing, right? And there's no clear differentiator between Islamic finance and conventional banking products. In fact, I think that was one of the criticisms by one of the top Negara officials uh, recently in a pretty scathing speech there. So there's all these sexy headlines about, yeah, $6.4 trillion US dollars market out there, but how are you really differentiating yourself from the conventional banking space? I think that is still a question mark over the broader industry. I think Malaysia is uh, pretty well known uh, as a base or as a centre yeah, for a uh, is Islamic mm-hmm. uh, finance because uh, we issue a lot of sukuks mm-hmm. over here. Uh, and, you know, this has caused uh, some other countries around the world, like financial centres around the world, London, Hong Kong, Singapore, even Dubai, uh, trying to get in on the game as well. But uh, I think if I'm not mistaken, if my numbers are correct, uh, Malaysia still leads the, the global league tables in Islamic finance. Uh, so Dubai uh, seems to be a nat- natural progression. There are certain um, sort of arguments about the details, right? The devil, as they say, is always in the details about the differences in Islamic standards. Uh, mm. But the you know the Sharia market, a six. trillion US dollars is is a pretty lucrative, attractive market. Yeah, it is. Uh, And that is also evident. That demand is also evident here in Malaysia. We have 16 licensed Islamic banks here in Malaysia. And then you also got EPF, you know, who recently came up with a Sharia compliant option as well for EPF members. So I think there has to be more innovation. And I think ultimately, based on uh, critics, there has to be a clear differentiator as to, uh, you know, how Islamic finance can differentiate itself from conventional banking. We have explored this issue quite a fair bit on the Breakfast Grill as well. It's not just with my grill with the CEO of HSBC, Amana, which you can find on the podcast. We have had Maybank Islamic on the grill a couple of times as well. So feel free to check out those podcasts on the BFM app and on BFM's Spotify channel. I I think don't forget also that the conventional market has had a head start. I mean, we all started with conventional, right? So uh, Islamic would take some time to play catch up. Uh, Therefore, Maybank has this internal policy, or rather Maybank Islamic, uh, no, it's Maybank in general, has an internal policy to uh, build uh, the assets for Islamic up to 40%. Yeah, and also I was told that Maybank Islamic has a Islamic first uh, policy across all its Maybank branches as well. Um, so again, you know, all that's detailed in our two Maybank Islamic grills uh, over the last couple of years. All right, Julian, time now to look at the top business stories of today. Coming back to the present, we've got Malaysia airports. Now, they're expecting 1 billion ringgit worth of investment 
investments in the future from third-party investors. Now, this is for their ongoing development of KLIA Aeropolis and also to kickstart the Subang Airport Regeneration Project. All sounds so sexy. Every time that Aeropolis word uh, is mentioned, <laughs> I, I, I can't help but feel that there's some superhero you know, <laughs> launching out and uh, saving us from the problems of the world. Uh, but the development is expected to uh, you know, save uh, MHB because it's supposed to generate over 3,000 new jobs over the next five years. And also MHB is looking to spend about 150 million ringgit uh, in the period uh, 2018 to 2020 to develop supporting infrastructures. All right, we got a clip here of MHB's general manager of land development, Ranhil Singh, who spoke to the press about these plans yesterday. Here he is. We have been going out to the market quite a bit and we found a lot of infrastructure investment funds that are keen to look for the right kind of opportunities. And for them, airport is always interesting. Free zones are always interesting. Typically, these sort of funds look for a long-term play and that's important for us. What they look for is steady yields of 7% on average annually. So how they will work is either they could probably partner us some of them would have their own developer arm. Sometimes they will just partner us as equity funding, of which we will then look out for developers or contractors. So the model is still quite fluid, and we are happy that there's flexibility. And that was Ren Hill Singh, General Manager of Land Development in MAHB. So, uh, and he sp- spoke about uh, some of these uh, free trade zones, and we'll get into the digital free trade zone in just a bit. But coming back to your fave here, Julian, uh, Aeropolis. So, uh, MHB is uh, developing it with several partners. Now, this is going to cover an area of 22,000 acres, and it's going to involve... That's con- bigger than my back, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's um, pretty big. Somehow I doubt that, though. But anyways, <laughs> Mr. Richman. Uh, anyways, it's got, uh, it's got cargo and logistics, it's got aerospace, aviation, and also, you know, uh, space for conferences, exhibitions, even leisure. You know, you got to get those people to spend, those tourists to spend their money at Aeropolis. Uh, exactly. And uh, I think uh, so one country that has been very successful in this uh, so-called concept, right, the MICE concept, meetings, incentives, conferences, exhibitions, mm. Singapore is, has been very good at mm. it because uh, the casino developments is not just for people to go there to gamble, right? But it's also a lot about leisure, entertainment, food, meetings as well. All, all those guys in suits who attend meetings, they need something, some playground uh, after the <laughs> after hard day's work, right? So I suppose uh, this is uh, conceptually something that's very convenient for people attending meetings. It's near the airport. You can fly in and fly out, you know, a few hours later. It's uh, What's not to like about it? Yeah, but then, you know, I can't help but think about the high-speed rail, though that's been shelved between KL and Singapore. Now, that would have been a sweet deal. Um, No, it's been shelved. You wish, buddy. Uh, But okay, okay, so that's KLIA Aeropolis. Now, uh, there are plans for Subang uh, as well. Now, according to Ranhill, some 40 million ringgit from that total 1 billion ringgit investment has been allocated for the development of Subang Aerotech Park. Now, that's part of the broader regeneration project for the Subang Airport. Yep, uh, it has a gross development value or GDP of about 400 million ringgit and spans about 1,000 acres, uh, also bigger than my backyard. Um, <laughs> it involves the expansion and upgrading of the existing terminal and air site facilities to create a city airport. Is it? What's the difference between a city airport and an airport city? Oh, okay. Well, so the city airport will be like Subang, where it's close to a city, as opposed to driving an hour out to Sapa. Ah, okay. Right? What's an airport city? So the airport city is like you build that city around the airport. Okay. <laughs> so like what Aeropolis is. I totally made that up. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, so the intention is uh, really to remodel Subang as a business aviation hub uh, because business aviation is the use of any general uh, aviation aircraft for business purposes, right? So your your private jets uh, are going to fly in and fly out and hopefully that doesn't uh, motivate uh, new JOLOs to come out, <laughs> spawn new JOLOs to come about. Why are you looking at me when you said your private jets in the plural as well? I, I don't know. Uh, somehow Miss, I just gravitate to you with yeah, that kind of thought. Miss the 22,000 acre <laughs> backyard. Alright, so you know, so looking at all this, right? what is this ultimately, I mean, what is this uh, premised on? So they are premising this on uh, exponential growth. So a- as it stands, the uh, KLIA can handle about one and a half million passengers now. They expect to handle five million passengers. So that's more than triple uh, from their current uh, capacity right now, uh, ultimately. So from one and a half million now to five million. Now recall that we are already seeing exponential growth for Malaysia airports and uh, for KLIA between January and November this year. Almost 90 million passengers during the first 11 months, um, you know, so that could grow more as well. Hence this 1 billion ringgit investment not just in Aeropolis but also in Subang. Yeah, the other buzzword the Han is MRO, right? Uh, mm. Maintenance, repair and overhaul. And I think this stems from that surge of budget travel around the region. Um, and this is really funny to me because they're having Malaysia Airlines is having a spat with AirAsia, right? Slapping mm. them with lawsuits, etc. But, you know, um, AirAsia could be the biggest MRO customer, right? So they, they can they'd still have to depend on AirAsia. Yeah, so it's, uh, they are dependent on one another, but then there's a symbiotic win-win uh, synergistic relationship. All the buzzwords you can think of thrown in there. Very nice. Okay, and real quick, just because I mentioned the digital free trade zone just now, so um, apparently that is still on. So this is going to be that regional logistics hub to serve the region. Uh, about 60 to 150 million ringgit that has already been used for the development of the digital free trade zone. Uh, we got a WhatsApp from John who basically concurs with my uh, distinction between city airport and airport city. So fan club. Han any, fan club. Han fan club. Okay, we got to take a quick break and we will come back to you right here to BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.